Happy Fourth of July weekend. Uh, it's great to be with you. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, my name is John Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and uh, part of the teaching team. And a uh, special welcome to anybody who's here for the first time or maybe the second time. Uh, for whatever reason that you've uh, decided to join us this morning, we are so glad you're here. And we hope that you feel welcomed by the Door Creek community. So thanks for being here. Um, let me start off this morning um, by telling you a little bit about my wife. And I have, I have permission to t tell this story. So can you tell I'm already like on thin ice here? All right, so my wife, she is an amazing human being, uh, a beautiful woman, and like all amazing people, she has a few idiosyncrasies. Uh, for example, one, uh-oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for example, one of her quirks, and, and I think this is very strange, and we'll find out if you do too in just a moment here, is that she, she has this desire to be more like a little baby. Uh, and before things get too weird here, let me explain. Um, Okay, so this happens quite a bit. I would say it averages about once a week or so, usually in the mornings. Uh, usually when our youngest, Hazel, who is an actual baby, is running around and, and seemingly kind of out of the blue, my wife will, will just say with some level of significant excitement, can you imagine what it would be like for somebody just to like pick you up and hold you and rock you in their arms? And we're always like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or she'll be like, can you imagine what it would be like if somebody just grabbed you and threw you up in the air and then caught you and you knew you were going to be okay? Like, how amazing would that be? And we're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or can you imagine what it would be like for somebody to pick you up and just, like, cradle you as you fell asleep in their arms? Like, how awesome that would be. Now, just out of curiosity, is there anybody else who has this kind of, this thing? No, exactly, because it's weird. <laughs> All right, I'll tell her. That's good. Thank you. Now, here's the thing. This has become so commonplace in our house that when my wife says, can you imagine, our family lets out this collective groan. And uh, as much as I appreciate the opportunity to have the mic and poke fun at her, and trust me, if she had the mic, there'd be like plenty of other stories, um, and her willingness for me to share this, what I've come to realize over time is that this wi my wife's desire uh, has this deep-rooted thing that I think points to a human desire, and it's this. I think we all share this longing, and it's expressed from Mary in this desire to be more like a baby, this longing for security. Now, as a nation, uh, you may know this, we spend billions of dollars every year in the name of national security. I think now it's hovering right around $500 billion a year. We spend millions of dollars on insurance that offers us security in the face of the unexpected, right? Insurance for fire, for tornado, for accidents, uh, for theft, for you name it, you can buy insurance for it. And those times in life, whatever, for whatever reason that it is and why it comes, when we feel insecure, that sensation, that feeling has a tendency to dominate our minds and our emotional energy. And so I would argue that all of us have this longing, this sense that we want every, just to know that everything is going to be okay. Are you with me? Yes. All right, so today I'm excited about the fact that this psalm that we're going to be looking at is all about security. And it's going to unpack for us this place of safety that we so badly long for. But before we go there, I just want to kind of make sure that we're all on the same page. So over the course of this year, uh, starting this past January, we have been going through the series called The Storyline, where we're going through the entire story of the Bible over the course of the year. So we'll be done this coming January. 
Now, the last few weeks, uh, we have been in the book of Psalms. And Psalms is this collection of about 100, not about, of 150 uh, songs, poems, uh, or prayers. They're all kind of the same thing. And the Psalms, one of the beautiful things about them is it's full of this raw human emotion that we generally can connect with. And it really ranges all the way from lament as the psalmist looks out over the human condition and sees the brokenness of the human experience. All the way from that to just standing in awe of the glorious and mighty God. And that's what I love about the psalms is for wherever I'm at my faith journey, like there's opportunities for me to connect with the psalmist. Now today we're going to be looking at Psalm 46. So now Psalm 46, I didn't have this in mind. We, as part of the teaching team, we picked our psalms a few months ago. So I wasn't really thinking about this, but as I was preparing for today, I came to realize that the themes in the psalm actually fit really well with this being July 4th weekend. So let's jump in together. If you haven't already done so, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 should be about in the middle of your Bible. Uh, It's a relatively short psalm, so we'll go through all of it together. Psalm 46. All right. We all ready? Good, good. Okay, so this is one of 11 psalms that is of the sons of Korah. And scholars are are not quite sure exactly what that means. The two major theories are it's either about the authorship, which seems kind of obvious, or it could also be about the style of poetry. And this psalm has three pretty distinct sections. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through each section, and we'll pause after each one and have a few reflections. So let's jump in together. uh, Section 1, starting in verse 1. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, which that was likely some sort of musical term, a song. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. So let's pause there. Okay, so just one quick side note. So some of your Bibles, they may not have this word Selah in it, uh, but it should have either like a little number or a little letter that points you to the bottom of the page, uh, letting you know that this word Selah is part of the text. Now again, scholars aren't sure exactly what this word means. It was probably some sort of musical break, but I just didn't want it to be a distraction for us as we're going. Okay, so let's look back at this. First line, what do we see? The very first line of this psalm is this incredible line of comfort. It's saying that God is a source of security and strength and his words ever-present. And this word ever-present means that God is always available. It's a picture it like this. It's like God is standing by our side just waiting to come on in at any given moment to help us out, to be our rescue, our support, our shelter. Now, this may be really obvious to you all, but we are not like God in this way, right? There's lots of ways we're not like God. None of us are ever-present. We're not always available, and that's probably a really good thing. Uh, And there's a couple reasons for that. One is just like our basic human limitations, right? Also because of our our personal choices. For example, one of my favorite things to do is to set my out-of-office response on my email. Uh, Letting people know that I'm gone doing whatever I'm doing so that if they email, they'll get this auto-response, letting them know that it will be a while before I can get back to them. And the reason I love that so much is because I don't like email. Does anybody? You're sick if you do. No, that's great if you do. That's fine. 
And the temptation for me, and I say this is kind of a confession to y'all, because some of you email me, because that's like I work here, um, is the temptation is to always set up my out-of-office response. But now if it, you get that auto-response, it's because I'm really gone for real, okay? Here's the good news. God is not like that. God is ever-present, and he's always ready to come to our aid, and this is especially comforting to us when we're in times of trouble. And then because of God's character described in verse 1, verse 2, just coming out of that observation, says that we need not be afraid, even in times of unimaginable tragedies. And if you look back at verse 2 and 3 with me, you see this is, a, like, this is a dramatic images. These are dramatic images that the psalmist is trying to bring up for us. I love how one commentary I read said this. The psalmist is describing the undoing of creation. And so go back with me for a moment to the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, God speaks creation into existence, one item after another, until all is created. And then he stands back and says, it is good. It is orderly. And then this psalm, in these two verses, we see the undoing of creation, and things are just falling apart. Now, this is hard for us to maybe even imagine, so I want to share an illustration with you. In our modern context, Verses 2 and 3 might look a little something like this. Can anybody name that movie? Deep Impact. Wow, somebody's un over 20. Um, <laughs> so that movie, I'm sorry. Uh, that movie is from, I believe, 1998, so it's a little older. And I'll just say this is my opinion, not a very good movie. Uh, but a great illustration of verses 2 and 3 in this psalm. And so what we see, again, is even in the midst of indescribable chaos, we need not fear because God is our ever-present security. And what the psalmist is describing here is really, I mean, if we're honest about it, like this radical faith grounded in a belief and a knowledge of an almighty God. Now let's continue on into the second part, starting in verse 4. So let's read this together. Verse 4. Here we go. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms melt. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, so keep looking at these verses. What do we see in verse 4? 
we see this significant change of tone from verse 3, right? So in verse 3, we see the, the world is just falling apart. It's crumbling around us. In verse 4, we get the, a very different picture. We get this picture uh, of this serene river that is flowing into the city, and it's flowing into the city. It's pro providing nourishing and flourishing for all. It's providing flourishing even with turmoil happening all around now, it's interesting to see that the city of God referenced here is most certainly Jerusalem, but there is not now nor back then literally a river like this going into the city. And so the psalmist is using poetic license to paint this picture of this calm and serenity and security that is found with God. And this becomes even more poignant when we realize the context of this psalm. So this, when this was written, the original audience uh, is from Israel, and Israel was this tiny little nation, right? They're not big now, but they were it was a very small nation surrounded by some of the greatest uh, nation states the world had ever known. They were surrounded by uh, Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. And of the, over the course of their history, they had seen, they had witnessed these nations rising and falling. And they're reminded here by the poet that God is greater than in a nation on earth, and only in him is true security found. Now that is just as true today as it was back then, right? If we watch the news, we are witness to this now, right? Nations in an uproar, kingdoms falling. Is this not the news that we see all the time? Yes. And even as we celebrate together our national pride and our American freedoms over these next few days, it is good for us as followers of Christ to remember that God is greater than our country, greater than the U.S. And in this context, this psalm, uh, we are one of those mighty nations. And our country, <laughs> as great as you may feel that it is, has a lifespan. But God does not. And I want to be clear about something. There's nothing inherently wrong with loving our country or preferring it to other places uh, around the world. In fact, when I have the opportunities to travel around the world, which I get to do as part of my job, which is awesome, um, there are often times where I'll be somewhere in a, in a foreign country that will make me so appreciate the things that I have back home. And, and in fact, this sense of civic pride, this can be a good thing because it can lead to a lot of good activities in our own communities. But it's so important for us to remember, to remember in like the core of who we are as followers of Christ, that only in Christ can we find that security that we so deeply long for. Because God is mightier than any defense budget. He's greater than any army on this earth. And we're invited to find our security in Him and Him alone. And then we get to see what he does with his might and his power in this last section of this psalm. So finish this with me, continuing on in verse 8. Verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says... Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, 
So keep looking at this with me, all right? So what does God do with his might and his power? I love this. What does he do? If you look back at the text, what he does is he goes to war with war. We see that he's using his might to destroy tools of destruction all over the world. I love this plan words, this plan concepts. Now, sometimes I, and I think many of us, uh, can tend to think of peace as like the wimpy cousin of war. But what we see here is that the almighty God is using his might to break the bow and shatter the spear. And these verses, they continue this theme that God is a mighty God, and in him and in him alone we are to find our security. And he's greater than any threat on this earth. And his ultimate plan is to bring peace and to end war. And for those of us who are following Christ, that is a promise with great hope, isn't it? Because we are surrounded by conflict all the time. But we know that we serve a God whose plan and purpose is to bring about peace one day. And then we get to verse 10, which is really the climax of this poem and by far the most famous verse within this psalm. And it says, Be still and know that I am God. Now, I read a number of commentaries because I think this this verse can sometimes be misunderstood and it's so used within Christian culture. And the best interpretation I could get out of a number of different scholars was that the best way to understand the words be still is as if God is calling out and saying, stop, enough, enough of the conflict, enough of the fighting, stop, whatever you're doing, and be still. It's as if he's looking out over a bunch of kids who are like fighting, and he's just like, stop, be still for a moment. And then this word to know uh, in the original language, it's not a form of head knowledge, right? It's not like a, some th- a fact that you would learn in school, like 2 plus 2 equals 4. The best way to understand this word know is like if you know that you love someone. So y- it is intellectual, right? But it's also emotional and experiential. And so in this really short sentence, there's something amazing happening. We are being called to halt from our activities, to stop, and then int- enter into knowing experientially the almighty God, the same God who will end all wars, the God who is greater, the God that is our place of security. And then in the next verses, the psalm has a statement about what will come someday and what was fulfilled in Jesus and what will be fully realized when he returns. We see this uh, much later in the New Testament when Paul writes this in Philippians, uh, chapter 2, 9 through 11. The words will also be up on the screen. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's this beautiful picture of God being exalted throughout the earth. And then the closing words of Psalm 46 take us all the way back to verse 1. So it wraps it all up by this powerful reminder and driving home of this idea that God is our security and that God is with us. Now, what (laughs) does this mean for us? How do we connect with this ancient song in the summer of 2000? 
and 17, from wherever you're coming from. Well, there's two uh, distinct applications that I'd like to point out, and I think both of them uh, lead essentially to the same place. The first is this, is that Psalm 46 is an invitation, an invitation to those who are suffering, for those who are on the margins, for those of you who just need a safe place. And it's it's an invitation to find rest and hope and renewal in the gentle power of our Almighty God. And I know there's those of you here who are part of our community who are going through incredibly hard things. There's those of you here who are, are battling cancer. There's those of you here whose families are falling apart, who are suffering from addiction, who have experienced or continue to experience abuse of all kinds, who have recently lost a job. And the list goes on and on. And for you, for many of you, it may feel like your world is falling apart. And this psalm is an invitation to you, by faith, to find your security, your hope in God, who is greater than any threat or calamity. But, (laughs) so as not to let the rest of us off the hook too easily and turn this into some kind of religious nicety, some sort of religious bumper sticker, (laughs) it is good to remember that God's primary way of providing comfort and healing in the world is his church. And that's you. That's me. That's us. And so I want us to take a moment, right where you're sitting, and just consider who in your life, maybe it's somebody in this room, maybe it's somebody in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, that's going through something hard right now. And I want you just to prayerfully consider for a few moments how might God want to use you to be part of his kingdom work of providing a safe place, a healing place, a place of nourishing, like we see in verse 4. How might God want to use you? Because God is with us. He is our place of security. Second point of application is that this psalm invites us to stop. To stop from the busyness of our lives. Stop from the conflict. Stop from the fighting. Stop from trying to be in control all the time. Stop from being the ones who are trying to be the ones who are exalted. To stop for a few moments and consider where is it that we seek ultimately our sense of security in our lives. And now this one, I'll be honest with y'all, this one is tricky, right? Especially for those of us here who have been conditioned by church culture, which is many of us, because there's an obvious right answer. If this was a quiz, the, the, how you would finish this sentence would be, I find my ultimate security in God. We'd also accept Jesus or Holy Spirit. <laughs> because that's how we roll in the church, right? It's like every answer. I'm not sure, but I'll go with Jesus. Yes, well done. Here's the good news, though. This is not a quiz, right? This is an opportunity for us to come before God in prayer, to take a few moments, and to ask Him to help us become more aware of where it is in our lives that we try to find our security. Is it in God, or is it in our 401k? 
Is it in God or, or the things that we own, our home, our possessions? Is it in God or our American values? Is it in God or our family? Or I think maybe one of the most common ones, is it in God or ourselves? Really, the question is, is it in God or anything else? And here's the thing. None of those things I just listed are bad things. In fact, the challenge is they're all good things. And they're good things that have this tendency to become the ultimate things in our lives if we don't frequently stop and know that He is God. Now, as I was originally planning this, my intent was at this point to encourage you all to go out this week, at some point this week, uh, maybe a couple times this week, and just pause during your day, you know, in the morning, afternoon, evening, whatever works for you, to read this psalm and then just reflect, and by God's grace, that we might know Him more fully. And then I got honest with myself. I got honest about how I would respond if I were receiving that encouragement. And what I would, I, my guess would be that I would think, oh, that's fine, that's a great idea, or a good idea, or whatever. Uh, but then, as soon as the service was out, I'd go downstairs, I'd get my three kids, something would happen. And by the time we got to the van in the parking lot, like 95% likelihood, I would totally forget and just be swept back up into the busyness of life and be thinking about, like, whatever we're having for lunch or whatever's next or whoever's coming over or whatever we're doing, right? And all these thoughts would just kind of come and just take over. And so if there's anybody who does remember that throughout this week, I just want to encourage that. That's great. Like, that, I would love to encourage you to read the Psalm 46 a few times this week, and when you do, to take a few moments to pause, to be still, and to know God. But we're also going to take a few moments right now during the service to do just that. So in just a moment here, we're going to take a few minutes to be still together and to reflect on this psalm. And because this is kind of a unique experience uh, on the weekends here at Door Creek, let me just set this up for you. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. um, And then when I'm done praying on the screens there will be some prompts or some prayers that come up throughout a few minutes, as well as some background music playing. And what I want to encourage you to do over this time is just to, between you and God, have a conversation. And to have a conversation about where it is that you seek security in your life. And now I know that we live in a really busy, fast-paced world full of sounds and lights and, like, just for example, when I go on a, even just, like, a five-minute car ride to go, you know, do whatever errand I'm doing, I will regularly take an equal amount of time to figure out what song or, like, part of a podcast I'm going to listen to during those five minutes. Because, like, I'm so conditioned to that, right? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm pr- probably addicted to just content coming at me. And so this idea of slowing down can feel strange. And so I just want to encourage you over these next few minutes, if you feel that, if this feels weird to you for some reason or feels uncomfortable, just have that conversation with God and consider why this might feel strange. And then at the end of this time, the worship team is going to come back up here and they're going to lead us uh, into a time of celebration of communion together. So let me pray for us right now. Father God, thank you that we can take moments to pause. And thank you that your spirit is living and active and speaking to us. And so we pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, and humility to be obedient to whatever you're calling us to. Just thanks for these next few minutes together. In your name, amen.